Greetings and welcome to Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldies program. I'm your host, John Lovering. Today I received an email from a plastic surgeon in Sadusky, Ohio, a uh, Dr. Payne, and he requested that I return to that little house halfway up in the next block where we could find radio's home folks, Victor Rodney Gook and his wife Sade, and their adopted son, Rush. Dick and Sade was created and written by an excellent comedy writer, Paul Reimer, and was broadcast from 1932 to 1944. Fifteen minutes a day, five days a week. The program continued, but intermittently, until 1946, and was briefly adapted to television in 1949 and again in 1957. Dick and Sade became one of the most popular series of its kind, garnering seven million regular listeners in 1943. Another thing that made this series so unique was that each episode was a separate story. There was no continuing storyline. Vic was played by Art Van Harvey, Bernadine Flynn played Sade, and Bill Idelson played their adopted son, Rush, and the series ran on NBC. Vic was the chief accountant of the consolidated kitchenware company, Plant No. 14. He was also the exalted dipper of the drowsy Venus chapter of the Sacred Stars of the Milky Way, a fraternal order founded by R.J. Conk. Vic's passion was parades, alarm clocks, cigars, wide-brimmed hats, and doorbells. He was often asked to submit articles to the Kitchenware Dealers Quarterly and the Lodge Magazine. Rush's nickname for Vic was Gov. Said was really the straight woman of the cast, a housewife who took pride in her housekeeping. Interest outside the home was basically the Thimble Club sewing circle, as much as a gossip circle as a sewing circle. She had a little sense of humor and was very practical about things. She did not care much about anything outside her little world. Vic would call her Uncle Harry and Corporal Johnson, but his usual nickname for her was Dr. Sleech or Kiddo. Rush called her Mom. Rush was adopted by the Gooks. Though Paul Reimer initially wanted Sade to give birth to a child, the sponsors objected, and thus they adopted a son. Rush's favorite activities were playing baseball and football, watching fat men play handball at the YMCA, going to the movies at the Baijo Theater, not Bijo, Baijo, reading adventure stories was another thing that he really enjoyed doing, and he was always looking for ways to make some easy money and had an angle on everything. Doing his homework was not a high priority. Doing chores around the house was not his strongest suit. And Sade's nickname for him was Willie. Vic would call him Roscoe or sometimes Maguri, Brain Fog, Stove Poker, or White House. There are very little sound effects or music in these shows because it's all about the dialogue between the characters. So listen carefully. Paul Reimer was a brilliant writer, and the actors in this program really made his words come alive. He wrote over 5,000 scripts for the show. And one last thing, the name of the characters beyond Vic, Sade, and Rush, like Ruthie Stembonen, Mrs. Applerot, Gus Fuss, Miss Hammersweet, Y.Y. Flirch, J.J. Stunbolt, Harry File, H.K. Fleber, Robert and Slobbert Hink, they were brothers, OX Bellyman, Pom Pom Cordova, Smelly Clark, Bluetooth Johnson, Rooster and Rotten Davis, brothers, Vernon Peggles, Leroy Snow, 
Piney Call, Willis Rohrbach, Nicer Scott, Mildred Tisdell, Eunice Raypole, Annabelle Helmstreet, Hank Gutstock, Stacy Yop, Health Musherton, Pelter Unbleat, Mr. Gumpox, the Garbage Man, Michigan Fishigan from Michigan, and even more. Paul Reimer was a very creative person. On this track, there are two episodes edited back-to-back. One is a letter to Walter, and the other is Miss Applerot Rearranges the Furniture. The two shows were circa 1940. This is Heirloom Radio. My name is John Lovering, and I do thank you for listening. I very much appreciate the support. You're awesome. Ready to smile again with radio's home folks, Vic and Sade, written by Paul Reimer. Here they are again, folks, your good friends, Vic and Sade, brought to you by the makers of Crisco. And with them is your radio neighbor, Mrs. Beach. Mrs. Beach has something mighty important on her mind today, something I know you'll all be interested in. Yes, friends, the government has told us a way we women can help out in this war effort. You see, they're having a real problem in keeping enough of the non-perishable foods to ship to our boys overseas. So they're asking us to make a point of buying all the perishable foods, like fresh fruits and vegetables, while they're in season. The government is even making victory food specials on these foods, so we'll know just when they're the most plentiful and at their very best. And you will buy them, won't you? That way, we won't be using up the food our soldiers and sailors need to keep them fit for their jobs. And you can plan such delicious meals around these victory food specials, you know. Probably save money on your food budget, too. Because usually, they're the very best buy on the market. Many stores even have special low prices on them. Just get in the habit of looking for your victory food specials every time you go to market. Look for the white cards with a big V marked on them telling you what the victory food specials are. The Department of Agriculture says if we'll do that, if we'll buy all we can of these food specials, well, it's actually the biggest job we women can do to help win this war. And I'm sure you feel the way I do, that the next best thing to having our boys home again is to see that they get everything they need while they're away. Isn't that true? So when you go to the store, always look for the white cards with a big V and see what your victory food special is. You'll be helping your government and your boys in the service and yourself, too. And now let's see who's home at the Gook House. Well, sir, it's early evening as our scene opens now. And here in the living room of the small house halfway up on the next block, we find our friends abiding quietly at home. Mr. Victor Gook and Mr. Rush Gook are established on opposite sides of the library table competing briskly at Rummy, while Sade, in her husband's easy chair, concerns herself with a daily love story in the newspaper. At this particular moment, one of the card players is remarking, Here, here, my man. There's a rule about looking at the discard. You do it. When? Lots of times. Cited instant. Huh? You've made a serious accusation. 
Unless you substantiate that accusation. Oh, come on, Clay. It's your turn. Oh, is it? See? Your poor fuddled brain can't Dick. even grasp it. Hello there, Sage. How are you? Bye, George. You looking fine? You know what I wish you'd do? Go over there and give you a hug? I wish you'd write to Walter. Oh. How long's it been since you dropped him a line? I don't know. Been years and years, ain't it? Yes, so. Ain't you kind of ashamed? Uh-uh. Ought to be. How long has it been since Walter dropped me a line? That's different. Why? Walter's not a letter-writing fella. I am, huh? Sure. Sit down there in your office and rip off letters to people all day long. What the heck would I say? Oh, just some chatty little talky-talk, maybe. Excuse me, ma'am. You in? Three sixes, three fours, and the ten jack queen and king of spades. Must have resorted to low cunning to accumulate that many spreads so quick. Sure. Uh, your deal is trip. Why don't you do it right now, Vic? Write a letter to Walter? Oh. Sure. You're just sitting there idle. I'm playing Remy. You just finished your game. Go ahead. Brush, hand your father your pencil tablet. Okay. I'll dash him off a note tomorrow. Like fun. You'd never even think of it. Well, I got nothing to say to Walter. He's your brother-in-law. I ought to exchange sweet confidence with him on that account, huh? Well, what I'd like to have you do is scribble your note off on that cheap tablet paper, and then in the morning take it down to the office and have the girl typewrite at night. What's the idea? It'd please Beth. I thought it was Walter I'm supposed to write to. Well, Walter and Beth. See, they're good and proud of their master's big, important brother-in-law with his marvelous position. I bet they'd show your letter to everybody in Carberry if it was written on a machine by a regular stenographer with her initials at the bottom and all. Mm. Will you do it? <laughs> I suppose. It hit me this afternoon you ought to drop a line to Walter. Beth and I hear from each other almost every week, and it don't look right for <laughs> you two men to let whole years go past without you. What's the matter? Nothing. Why are you laughing? Get away from here, right? How can a man write a letter to his brother-in-law with a hyena like you breathing down his neck? What's he writing there? Read me what he's got wrote down there. Go away from here, dishwater. Rush, you hear what I said? Um, dear Walter, how's your kneecap? Does it hurt much? My kneecap jumped out of place last Tuesday at 4 o'clock while I was swimming in the creek. Sadie has been put in jail. Rush was married early this morning. What time is it? You make me sick. If I had ears like... <laughs> You made every word of that up. I did not. You did, too. That don't strike me so comical, Vic. (laughs) I don't know what to say to the guy, kiddo. Poor Walter's a guy now, huh? We got nothing in common. Just married sisters is all. Got that much in common. Won't be news to Walter if I write and tell him we married sisters. (laughs) Dear Walter, you and I married sisters. I married Sister Sadie, and you married Sister Bessie. It's great stuff, eh, Walter, being married to Sister? You don't seem to have much trouble thinking up silliness. Put half of that energy into fixing up a decent letter, and you'd get through in five minutes. <laughs> okay. I'll make a stab at it. Instead of standing there grinning like a chessy cat rush, you might write a little note. Uncle Walter? Sure. You were included in the invitation. I just as soon drop my line. Uh-huh. I'll say, uh, dear Uncle Walter. How's your kneecap? Day before yesterday, I saw a horse fall down. He got up almost immediately, feeling none the wiser. Our garbage man don't wear socks. 
He claims You're that. a funny man, too, aren't you? <laughs> well, hey. Who was it give you a lovely silver dollar on your birthday? I wasn't allowed to spend it. Had to deposit it in the doggone bank. Jade, <laughs> I can't get anywhere with this. Can't you? No. All day long, you sit down in your office and dash off enormous big letters to fellas in the kitchenware company. Peculiar, you can't write a few measly little words to your own brother-in-law. All I got is, dear Walter, where's your old horse thief, you? How's trick? I wouldn't even say that as a joke. What? Horse thief? Yes. Walter might not understand. All right, we'll delete that. Now all I got is, dear Walter, not much of a letter. Put down little chatty talky-talk. Which is what? Oh, business is fine. I suppose you read in the newspaper about this, that, and other things. Looks like big doings in Washington, D.C., with the Congress making different laws. You know. Mm-hmm. Tell about our neighbors that have been living next door seven years, all of a sudden pulling up stakes and moving. Mm. You want to hear what I got? All right. Uh, dear Uncle Walter, thought I would write and see how you are feeling. We are fine, and Gov's sore throat has let up considerable on the twinges. I expect you people are enjoying the warm weather. A good many of my personal friends have changed into their summer underwear. I am still wearing my winter underwear, but will probably discontinue the process in the course of the next few weeks. There is only a couple more months of school, and then we have vacation. Very nice. I think so. Comes right to the point. No beating around the bush. Say something about how eager your mother's looking forward to her visit in Carberry. Okay. See how this suits you. Mm-hmm. Dear Walter, business is fine. I suppose you read in the newspaper about this, that, and the other thing. Looks like big doings in Washington, D.C. with the Congress making different laws. Yours truly, Vic. I'd be ashamed. I put down what you told me to put down. I'd be ashamed. Thunder's day, I'd have the best Put that your I... tablet and fountain pen off to one side. Go ahead with your rummy. <laughs> Shucks, a man I guess can... Walter won't wither away and die just because his wonderful brother-in-law won't take five minutes of his valuable time. Tell me what to say, kiddo, and I'll say it. Go ahead with your rummy. No, by George, I'll do this if it kills me. Tell me what to say. What do you say to your friend Y.Y. Flirch when you write him letters? I say, Freddy, salute. No, but what do you say? Oh, I don't know. Generally stuff about the lodge. Tell Walter about the lodge. You don't belong to it. Well, that don't hurt. Tell him you had a meeting. Mm. You'd sit down and dash off 40 pages to Why Wife Flirt. When it comes to your own brother-in-law, you can't think of a word. Mm. Uh, listen, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Uh, dear Uncle Walter, thought I would write and see how you are feeling. We are fine, and Gov's sore throat has let up considerable on the twinges. I expect you people... You already read me that part. Uh, Mom is looking forward with breathless pleasure to visiting you and Aunt Beth. She anticipates much delight in seeing your faces once again. How you like that? It's all right. I think it's dandy. A little on the axle grease and peach butter side. What do you think of that junk about breathless pleasure? It's all right. Okay. Got something down? Yep. Listen, dear Walter, how are you, old top? I wouldn't call him names, sir. Old top ain't a very cruel epithet. Well, Walter's touchy. Liable to think you're jolly enough. Well, just dear Walter, then. <laughs> dear Walter, 100 alumni of the University of Clinton 
met in the Butler House Hotel, Hotel yesterday to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the university's founding. Alumni clubs in 15 other cities held similar gatherings. The alumni heard an address by Dr. Hugh Flossmore Screech depicting historical events in the university's development and a trombone solo by Miss Edith Clem entitled, All My Hugs and Kisses, Alma Major Belong to Thee. Yours truly, Vic. Or Teddy. It's informative, though. You copied that out of tonight's newspaper. What? You say I copied it out of... Tonight's newspaper, yes. I read it myself. Kiddo, before you get hot under the collar, let me... Where are you going? Upstairs. Not to bed. I may go to bed. Who cares? Well, it's only ten minutes past eight. That's so? Wait now, Sage. Tell you what I'll do. I'll write water the longest... Lock the doors and fix the lights before you come up. Oh, Gone to work and made your mother mad. Mm. Now I've got to write a letter to ease my conscience. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, you are concludes another brief interlude at the small house halfway up in the next block. And so we leave Mrs. Beach and Chris goes big and saved until the next time. Don't forget to listen. This is Ed Roberts speaking. Have you heard it? Did you know? It's important, and it's so. The war is making changes in clothes. Many colors are different now. New dyes are in the stores, and materials aren't the same. So guard what you've got, and wash what you get, with ivory flakes. Your bright curtains, your striped rayons, even the youngsters' play clothes. Keep them out of the family wash now. Don't risk nice colors with strong wash day soap and hot water. I'm warning you, they can fade. They can streak. So be careful. These days, treat your nice colors like you treat your stockings and undies. Wash them gently in lukewarm suds of ivory flakes. Why, only ivory flakes give you the fast flake form of baby's mild ivory soap. They're so mild. They help your colored things stay lovely, last longer. Why, a green and white rayon print dress was washed 14 consecutive times with ivory flakes, and the colors stayed clear, the material soft. You'd almost swear it was new. So, don't you see why women say, Ivory flakes, them, that's the way. Your rayon dresses, printed drapes, the kids' socks and school clothes, all your nice colored things. Suds them and save them with ivory flakes. This program came to you from New York and Chicago. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Well, sir, it's late afternoon as our scene opens now, and here in the living room of the small house halfway up in the next block, we find Mr. Rush Gook, all by himself. 
The young man has just this moment arrived home, and he's standing near the Davenport, gazing about him with considerable interest. But his reflections are interrupted by a voice from upstairs. Listen. Who's that? You, Ross? Yeah. When'd you move the furniture? This afternoon. You by yourself? Yeah. Your father's not around? Not due yet, is he? Ain't even four o'clock. What'd you think of that living room? Considerable changed around. Who helped you? Was there ever such a mess? Huh? Look at that bookcase scrunched against the whole length of bare wall. Hmm? Easy chair in the hall corner where a person could trip over it and break their neck. Don't you like the way you fix it? Library table spranged every which way like a sore thumb on a sick horse. <laughs> this room is arranged 1940 style, Willie. Isn't it beautiful? What's the idea? Look at where the Davenport is. Mom, have you... Ah, yeah, them school clothes and climbing your overalls. You and me got work to do. Who's been here, Mom? Why? You've been crying, haven't you? Makes you think so. Your eyes are... Oh, gosh. Listen, let's not stand and twiddle our thumbs. I want every bit of this stuff pushed back where it was before your father comes home. Skin out of that good shirt. Your overalls is hanging in the cellarway. Okay. Well, move. I don't get... I'd love to have Miss Stembottom see this living room. Or Miss Donahue. They'd think I'd gone clean out of my belfry. Latest style living room for the year 1940. I'm surprised that Davenport isn't upside down or pasted on the ceiling. Mom, who was here this afternoon? Why? You've been crying. Oh, I've been crying. What makes your eyes so red then? Sure you've been crying. You've I'm been... not crying now. How many times does a person have to tell you a thing? Crawl in your overalls and we'll try to straighten out this mess. Okay, I'll go get them. Only I don't think I really need them. I'm pretty dirty as it is. These are my old pants and I have to change this shirt tomorrow anyway and... There ain't much dirt to move in furniture right, and going to the bother of changing my clothes. It'd take up All more right. time. Tell you what we'll do first. We'll wrestle that bookcase back where it belongs. Be a job, too. Mom, who's been mean to you? Can you tell I've been crying? Sure. Well, I'm about through crying. Just about cried my last cry over old darn people. What people? Oh. Should I get on the heavy side of the bookcase and you get I'm on the... i sit down a minute. Huh? Gonna sit down a minute. Bible to explode in 40 pieces if I exert myself feeling all upset the way I do now. Yeah, sit down. <laughs> I'll sit down in my 1940-style living room and enjoy all the new modern ideas. Mm. Uh, your father's easy chair sclaunched out there in the hall is sure a treat to the eye, ain't it? Just more than fashionable. <laughs> you sure wish Gov was here, don't you? Why? So you could unload what you got on your chest. You figure I'm a young kid and not worth telling stuff to. I'm the young kid. Haven't got the gumption of a rabbit. Let people shove me around like a stump on a log. Who's been doing that? Oh, go ahead and tell. Are you good to release your pent-up emotions? Pent-up emotions is correct. Oh, there don't need to be any secret to it. If I'm weak in the upper story, I might as well let it out now as later on. Sure. Of course, I realize you'd prefer to confide in somebody else besides me, but... Willie, think... wouldn't you think a lady as old as your mother would have enough gumption not to let old darn people come in their house and take charge and shove their furniture around over their dead body? Oh, I never wanted my furniture moved. I never wanted a single thing touched. But what'd I do? I acted like a silly, dumb sheep and followed crazy orders exactly like I was told. Well, I've learned my lesson. Who was it that does Miss Apparat, that's who. Is she the Great one that... big old mean know-it-all lady. 
I don't care for Miss Apparat myself. Great I big don't. old mean know-it-all lady. It's all in the wide world she is. All she ever will be. Well, did Coming she... Coming here out of a clear sky to pay a little call. Started right off being bossy. Told me this, that, and the other thing with her mouth all pursed up like she couldn't possibly be wrong. And if I had any different opinion, I couldn't be very bright. Yeah. I remember that time she spoke at high school. She was kind of... Nobody likes her. None of the ladies like her. Imagine coming in a person's house and rearranging the furniture when the person don't want their furniture rearranged. I guess she is. Look. Bookcase up against the bare wall. Easy chair in the hall. Did you have a fight? Of course we never had a fight. Think we're wild tigers or something? Did you part friends? Naturally. Think I'd let on for the squillionth part of a second she got my goat? She didn't just up and move the furniture, did she? (laughs) She didn't just grab a hold of the Davenport and push. Practically. Yeah? We got to talking about modern living rooms. That is, she did. Of course, I never open my mouth when she's around because she'd show me in that nicey-nice way that I didn't know what I was talking about. Maybe I'll say something like, goodness, aren't they having a terrible to-do over there in Europe and around in through there? Miss Apparat will give her patient little la-di-da laugh like she's talking to a child five years old. Mm. Acts the same way with Miss Stenbottom and Miss Donahue. They told me. Ought to make you feel like 30 cents. One time Rooster Davis ran an errand for her clear across town to Oakland Avenue, and she only gave him a nickel. And before he left, she says, little boy, I'll have to ask you to wash your ears before you deliver this note. Rooster was 13 years old at the time. Sure. You got to talking about living rooms, huh? And Ms. Apparat says... Said my bookcase. In order to conform with 1940 standards. Ought to be against that wall by itself. I says, oh, I don't think so, Miss Apparat. That'd make the south side of the room so naked, I said. No, dear, she said, smiling patient like she was talking to a nitwit. But it would, I said, besides crowding the other pieces in other spaces. No, dear, she says, just like that. Huh. Of course, I begin to tremble, like I do when I'm excited. Huh. She says, come on, let's try it. Huh. Why, I couldn't believe my ears. Here was this woman suggesting against my wishes that we move my furniture that I'd already told her was satisfactory to me where it was. Hmm. She got up from her chair and says, Come on, you will see immediately the improvement. She wanted you to help shove the bookcase? Davenport first. Get out of the way, see? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Boy, she's got gall. Put you right to work. Put me right to work. And I worked. Worked like a horse. Why don't you say... Listen, sister, if you feel like wrestling Davenport's around, there's a furniture department down in Hamilton's store. And oh, you can go... I don't know. I'm a plain ninny, I guess. Were you mad? While we were shoving stuff around, you mean? No, not mad. Just kind of excited and helpless. I done what she told me to do exactly like some tame little rabbit. That's why I boiled so after she'd gone away. I knew she could tell how I felt. After she left, you went upstairs on the bed and cried, huh? Well, I had to do something to let off steam. <laughs> oh, I'm not so much mad at her as I am at myself. My insides turn over when I think of it. There I was, in my own house, pushing and shoving and tugging at old heavy furniture, and smiling sick and saying I didn't think 1940 ideas were any better than my own, and Miss Apparat just the same as telling me I didn't know beans, and me agreeing with her. 
And when we were all through and had every bit of furniture stuck where she wanted it, I said, yes, it's very nice. Yes, it's very nice. Yes. Well, let's hop in here. Bookcase first. I think we better take off the top shelf of books and both get on the light end. Oh. Well, it's probably your father. I'll answer it. Maybe I better. You're kind of upset. I'll McFay. answer it. Okay. Hello? Oh, yes. <laughs> really? Well, I'm glad you did. What? The easy chair? Yes. A face in the window? Uh-huh. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Glad you told me. All right. Yes, indeed. All right. Goodbye, Miss Apparat. Miss Apparat? Yes. Huh. Call to say the easy chair should be facing the window. Give the room a more restful effect. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, I'm not so much mad at her as I am at myself. Letting somebody lead me around like a sheep. Letting myself be treated like a stupid ninny. Old darn people coming in my own house and doing exactly what they please. Look at this room. Look at it. Oh, my. Which concludes another brief interlude at the small house halfway up in the next block.